0: Hello and welcome to episode 82 of Sensational She Geek, live from Yancey Street. After taking a wee bit of a break over the last week, while I settled into uh, my new job and all that, we have quite a bit on this week's episode that I'm really excited to talk about. Particularly in the news, we have a good deal of news that's really exciting, or at the very least, really interesting. Um, And I'm super excited to talk about all of that, and that includes, of course, the Quantum Mania and Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special teaser and trailer that we got. As well as a new Spotlight manga for the week, which you will have to stick around to find out what that is. Just kidding, I'm sure it says in the description. There's a couple comics that I have finally caught up on reading that we're going to talk about this week as well. These are going to be from the weeks of October 5th, 12th, and 19th, because as I said, I am quite behind before we go into this week's polls. Those are comics coming out this Wednesday, the week of the 26th of October, and this is the last comic book week of October, so that's pretty exciting. Um, We are also going to be talking the two finales that came out this week that is namely, uh, or over the past weeks, that was. She-Hulk and Rings of Power. I'm way more excited about how one of those ended than the other, and I have no doubt you will figure that out pretty quickly in listening to my coverage of them. Also be sure to check back in the description of this episode for the podcast notes for the episode if you'd like to follow along or just read them instead of listening to me gab about things. I will also be hopefully tonight finishing uh, the completion of the January 2023 Marvel and DC Comics solicitations in their entirety. I've been trying to put those on my site as well just for people who are trying to become more involved in kind of that side of the industry in the comics as they are currently coming out so that they can find all of that information sort of easier in one place um, so all of that be sure to check that out. I will hopefully have them linked in the description uh this evening as of the posting of this episode. hopefully they'll be there by the time you see it. Real quick here before we get started, please feel free to join the Yancey Street Discord. There is a fresh invite link at the bottom of each episode's description. The Discord is a safe, friendly place for socialization and discussion of whatever you want, really, comics, pop culture, or otherwise. And it's also where you can go to find links or images mentioned during the podcast all in one place. You can find me most easily on social media via Instagram. My username is at Anna with the Comics, because my name is Anna, and hey, I've got a lot of comics. Uh, my podcast updates, if you want to find those, they'll be mostly on Twitter, where my username is at Savage geek because Sensational was too many letters. My website is SensationalSheGeek.Weebly.com, where I have been working on fixing up the site quite a bit so that it is still relevant in addition to the podcast, so make sure you go and check that out, including my beginner's guide to both comics and manga, covering, hopefully, any information that you might need to take your first steps into the world of comics or manga, including recommendations on comics, graphic novels, manga, series, etc. Uh, I also have my reading orders with commentary on appearances of various leading ladies, many of which I use to turn into the monthly Yancey Street specials also linked all over my site, uh, and they focus on a so far female character from the comics to study thoroughly and then expand upon in a podcast episode of their own. I try to make them pretty relevant. For example, I about 95% done with a Jennifer Walters She-Hulk episode, which is going to be coming out uh, for her show this August. Additionally, anything pre-2021 content-wise can be found written in the website blog for your reference, which was all before I started the podcast. Plus my podcast notes, which are basically all the content of each episode in written format, are made available on my blog as well for reading the podcast instead of listening and for those who are hearing impaired if they'd like to keep up with the podcast events as well. And you can finally find links to anywhere that you can listen to the podcast, which is most if not all podcast hosting apps and also includes YouTube. On YouTube, I also post the podcast episodes in a single playlist format, if that is an easier way for you to listen. And I also occasionally post action figure review videos. It has been a lot more imports in the latest videos, as I have pretty much given up on Hasbro's Marvel Legends line, Uh, but I do have a big backlog of Legends videos, including a tour of our entire collection. It's a very long video tour. And soon the Haslab Galactus, assuming that he is on his way to go alongside last year's Haslab Sentinel video. I do have a podcast Patreon. You can find it under Sensational She Geek. It's set up for donations to support the podcast as well as a Ko-fi, which is like a buy a creator a coffee situation. And Cash App, Venmo, PayPal are all linked on my link tree for donation towards the podcast, which should appear linked among uh, various other fun things at the bottom of each episode's description. Uh, I do also have a Redbubble shop called She Geek Shop, but I have been having some issues with their site and whatnot. Um, So I'm working on setting up my own storefront on my site which hopefully will be coming by the new year and will be faster with more support from listeners also have a wee bit of a cold this week um it's not really cold it's there's no sneezing or coughing or anything i just am very stuffy there's a sinus thing going on we can blame the weather change I don't know if pollen is a thing this time of year. <laughs> well, it's just a thing. I'm sorry if my voice sounds a little bit more nasally than usual. That is why. As per usual, this news is going to start a little bit with just some more general updates and thoughts and things that are not really news, but just things I'd like to mention before we get into the rest of the news. Uh, The first off being that Wakanda Forever tickets are on sale now. They've been on sale for at least the past week, I think. Um, So be sure that you are getting those. I have no doubt that this is going to be fairly packed theaters now that most people subscribe to the notion that um, it's safer to go to theaters. If you are not one who subscribes to that, I do not blame you and do what you do to feel safe um, and just wait for it to come out on Disney Plus or whatever manner you plan on watching it. We personally go to uh, a theater that's a little bit further away than the others because it is the only local ish one that has reserved seating. Um, and so we have a particular set of chairs that we always reserve because people don't usually go to that section of the theater. Um, and then we can kind of uh, keep an eye on how many people are in each, you know, the theater that we're in. So we can like adjust what seat we have because uh, they let us do that as well. Um, if people do take seats that are by our reserve seats. So it works out really well for the most part. Um, and we usually end up without people around us, which is my ideal theater experience. My ideal theater experience would be uh, just us in the room. <laughs> that's it. Um, that's obviously not realistic for most of Marvel movie premieres not even necessarily just premieres, but the just showings in general. Um, so that is why we kind of go for that theater that's a little bit further away so we can reserve seats away from the rest of the audience. But in any case, super excited to see Wakanda Forever. Um, I, I'm really hoping that we see Doom in that, but I'm not really going to get my like actual hopes up for that because who who knows what they're planning. We have a couple of shows that are back and are going right now that I'm really into that uh, don't really fall into the Kiki stuff. I don't know, some of them. First being uh, Avenue 5. I think it was 2019, possibly, when the first season of Avenue 5 with Hugh Laurie came out. Uh, really, really funny. Um, <laughs> very much enjoyed it. It feels a little bit in the vein of trying to think of the name of the star trek parody that came back and i i didn't like the new season uh whatever it's called it's on disney plus as well it feels kind of in the vein of that in the term of like intense of like it's low key a parody but also like just a hilarious comedy about all of these people who are stuck on this cruise ship in space for a very, very, very long amount of time. Really funny, uh, the first two or three episodes of the second season are out. Really, really funny. I definitely recommend, I should think of another term than really, really funny. Uh, definitely recommend checking that one out. Also back is Spy X Family, Um, that is one that we're watching on Crunchyroll, and we watch it with the dubs so that we don't have to be watching the screen all the time. Um, really, really fun episodes already. Again, I need to stop with the really, really fun. (laughs) I'm loving this, uh, I don't even think they're calling it a second season. I think they're just kind of continuing it now a couple of months after the first set of episodes. Um, and we're already getting some great, I almost said really, really fun again, some great new characters uh, from the manga, so that's also quite exciting. Reboot is a new show that I am very much enjoying. Um, It's kind of a, it's about a sitcom that was, did I already talk about this on here? I don't think so. It's about a sitcom that has been renewed, rebooted, hence the title, um, and all of the complicated stuff that comes with that. Very funny. Oh, shit! I said I only said very once that time, um, but I also uh, it was one of the, the actress from um, the the comedian from Crazy Ex Girlfriend is one of the main characters in that. So if you liked her, you will most likely like this. Uh, so help me Todd is one that I put on my list here. It's fine. It's good. Um, I don't think they had a l- episode last week. I'm not sure. I think it's only got three episodes so far, but they are for the most part quite enjoyable. Um, suffers from a few things I'm kind of waiting to see if they're gonna change that since we're still early in on the season, but time will tell and then um on a less relevant side of things, brendan fraser uh during the I believe some LA or California or possibly San Francisco premiere of the whale, which he of course stars in and is getting tons of accolades for, uh, he apologized to the city of San Francisco for his role in the George, the jungle movie, which I think is pretty funny because obviously it's a, as a San Francisco person, it's like a big inside joke. That movie love that it takes place in San Francisco for the most part. Um, it becomes really fun (laughs) to just reference it as you kind of go through San Francisco and stuff, because it's a lot of iconic locations and things And obviously what he's talking about there uh, for apologizing is when he kind of like raided the Bay Bridge and kind of helped destroy it a tiny bit. He didn't really destroy it. He, he messed it with it a little bit. He, he wound up, doing stuff on the bridge, and it was a whole thing. But anyway, uh, the last thing before we get into the real news is I am aware that this past Sunday, the 24th, BBC's The Power of the Doctor from Doctor Who, Jodie Whittaker's final episode, has premiered. Um, I will actually wait to talk about that until I'm able to catch up on it. I haven't really found a place to watch it in the U.S. yet. because iPlayer does not work in the U.S., and BBC America makes you sign in with a TV provider, which I don't have, as I'm sure many of us don't these days. So once I see that, I will talk about it. That being said, I have seen pretty much the spoiler of that episode, uh, more or less how it ends, because we know that this was going to be Jodie Whittaker's regeneration into whoever the next Doctor is, and that was the whole spoiler thing, so I, without... It's only been a few days, and this is probably mostly being listened to by people who are in the U.S. If not, everyone who is here listening to it is in the U.S. So um, I'll wait until that becomes more accessible in the U.S. Uh, before I talk about all of that. But the spoilers that I have seen, I am in, and in- I am curious about. I'm very curious about how they're going to make that work, um, and it'll be a year until we find out. It's not going to be until next year's BBC centenary, centenary, I think is what they call it. <laughs> I don't know why they don't just say centennial, whatever, um, that we're going to be seeing, finally, that episode, the next episode of Doctor Who. There's only a couple of very minor, well, not quite minor. One's minor, but this first one, I would not say minor. We're talking rumors. (laughs) Um, They're both involving the MCU. Uh, We'll save this, I guess, the the smaller one for after, but this first one is pretty cool, in my opinion. Uh, The rumor is about Mephisto, and that he is going to be premiering as the head villain in Ironheart. Um, and additionally, that he may be played by Sasha Baron Cohen, who uh, I'm sure many people are familiar with from, oh gosh, The Dictator, Bruno Borat, Ali G was his thing that kind of started his whole career. Now, a lot of people are hearing this and going, oh man, we're gonna get a jokey Mephisto. None of, I agree with you, a jokey Mephisto would be pretty horrendous, um, but I think that he actually is, he he does not get the credit that he d- is deserved for being a, an actual serious actor as well, and I compiled a little list of the awards that he has been nominated for, a number of which he has also won, but I didn't make that distinction. Um, from 2013 to 2021, there is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different Uh, awards that he was nominated for, and an eighth, which is actually uh, not a nomination, but he was an honoree for the Anti-Defamation League, he was given their International Leadership Award, which, fun fact, uh, when he was accepting that award, he gave a speech directing criticism at internet companies, particularly Facebook, Google, and YouTube, and Twitter, as part of, quote, the biggest propaganda machine in history, unquote, and claiming that their rules on hate speech meant they would have let Hitler Buy ads. Which, what well, we've seen with Facebook, may- maybe they really would. Um, but some of the awards that he's been nominated for are for his roles in a Miserables, Sweeney Todd, as well as uh, more recently, a, a, a one called The Spy, and The Trial of the Chicago 7, which was a very big one in awards season. And he was nominated for roles, uh, for his supporting role in that movie. Um, and I believe he was kind of a fan favorite. He did not win um, all of them, but he did win a number of those nominations. So he is he is very capable of being a serious actor, for certain. Um, on top of that, I would say that he 100% has the face for it. Now, ignoring the who and going back to the what a little bit, they're saying it's going to be Mephisto as kind of the um, the 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 head big bad for the Ironheart show. Um, we already know that the show is going to be focusing on mag- magic versus technology. So maybe Riri gets tripped up into something Mephisto related due to the magic side of things. Like maybe she figures out that everyone forgot who Spider Man is, and he notices or something. But more likely, this would be. Um, That he could be the source of the Hood's powers. The Hood is going to be the major villain for the show and knowing that it's going to be tech versus magic. He's obviously the tech side and she's the magic side. So as her major villain, um, he usually has those kinds of like magical powers that come from some other kind of demonic force in the comics. Really, it would not be uh, difficult at all to change that into being Mephisto, who gives him his powers. So, when she becomes a problem for Red Hood, she therefore becomes a problem for Mephisto. We could also see Mephisto uh, subsequently in shows like Coven of Chaos, which we know is the Agatha Harkness show that there's going to be coming out in the next couple of years. And I have no doubt a variety of MCU projects would benefit from having some kind of Mephisto reference in it. We already think that we had a reference to him in the She-Hulk show, um, when the party girl goes and, uh, makes a deal with a goat in hell. (laughs) That would be pretty funny to see clarified as being, having been Mephisto. I don't know. Um, also as for Riri Williams, we are about to meet her for the first time in Wakanda Forever, so make sure you get your tickets. The other smaller rumor that we have coming from the MCU involves the possible new directors for the Blade Project. We know the last director uh, left the project because there was really nothing good coming from it, Um, and that was also becoming very frustrating to the Blade star himself, Mahershala Ali, who, again, himself has won two Oscars for, I believe, Best Actor, Um, and as opposed to Jared Leto, actually takes that seriously. So the rumor for who these directors might be is Adil El Arbi and Bilal Falah, who are the ex-Batgirl directors. Batgirl being, having been scrapped by Warner Discovery over the summer to much chagrin of fans like myself, um, it seems that these two might have been tapped for the new Blade movie. They also did the final Ms. Marvel episodes that premiered uh, over the spring, I guess it was, but uh, I really enjoyed that. I know people didn't like it, but let's be honest, a lot of that was sexism and racism in a fun little com- combination. Um... It was a very good show. Let's just be honest with that. It was good. It was fun. Um, They did a fantastic job with showing the Pakistani culture where Kamala comes from. I could go on. um, But the fact that I really did enjoy that so much, I would be very excited to see these two brought in as directors for Blade, especially uh being men of color themselves. I really don't think that a white director has any business being uh in charge of the Blade movie. So that's a a a good a good look if that's what they're actually going for here. And spoiler alert, uh, but in DCEU news or DC film news, whatever they're going with these days, Henry Cavill is confirmed as being back. Uh, Through an end credits scene in Black Adam. This is not something that I am spoiling for you. If you somehow haven't seen this on the internet, congratulations, I guess. Uh, but Henry Cavill himself came onto his Instagram page yesterday and posted about how, yes, he confirmed he is back as Superman. He was in Black Adam, and they are planning further projects for his Kalel. Uh, played by Henry Cavill. So uh, there's also some claims that a Man of Steel sequel is also in early development based purely on the Black Adam box office success. However, that could just be to make hype for the Black Adam movie, Um, but I feel like Superman just being back is probably enough to get that hype of people to go see the movie, regardless of oh, if you go see the movie, we'll get more. Um, I think people just want to see him, period. (laughs) And that's a good start. And based on what Cavill was saying himself in his Instagram video, it does seem that they have something planned for his character Who's to say if it is a Man of Steel sequel? There's a couple of other things that we are kind of waiting to hear about if are happening over there in DC Films or not. Um, So it's kind of a toss-up of what the next project seeing him in is going to be. One thing that I am almost certain on is that we can pretty much... um, we can pretty much hope that it's going to be good, right? <laughs> After all of this, that they would they wouldn't bring him back, and he wouldn't sign on to half to half a plan, right? Like they they they've they know what they're doing this time, right? It's not that Superman is hard. That, that's the whole thing. Superman is very easy, but they just they they struggle with it, and it's just been so mind boggling that they keep coming out and saying, "Oh, we can't make Superman relatable." And guys, guys, this character's been around for almost a hundred years, like. How can you not make that relatable? He's an immigrant alien in America. Like come on guys, come on. This is going to be a good project, right? Whatever it is, it's coming. It's going to be good, right? I'm baking on you Henry Cavill to make this good. <clears throat> but anyway, uh yeah, Superman is back and I am excited to see more of him back over in the Marvel realm of things, and I would say the most surprise yes, definitely definitely the most surprising news of the week is that we have recasted this is not the surprising part, we have recasted Thunderbolt Ross. Uh the surprising part is that he has been recast as Harrison Ford. Which don't get me wrong, that would be a great fit. I mean it is a great fit. My thing about that is um we'll get into that in a second. We'll get into that in a second. Let's talk about about Ross first. Obviously, he turns into Red Hulk in the comics, and that was kind of what was expected to happen with William Hurt, who was the original casting for Thaddeus Ross, a.k.a. General Ross, a.k.a. Thunderbolt Ross, turns into Red Hulk, we kind of thought that's where it would go. Um, he was seen in a number of previous MCU movies, but unfortunately, Hurt was, um, he passed away on March 13th of this year at the age of 71. So for a while, people were kind of like, mm, I guess we're not going to get a Red Hulk. More recently, with the She-Hulk show and all of that, people have kind of been speculating, you know what, I feel like we could maybe recast Ross and and get ourselves a Red Hulk that way. Um, Obviously, it's a very different scenario than having um, not recasted Black Panther, a.k.a. T'Challa, who was played by the late, great Chadwick Boseman. It's a little bit different scenarios there um, for a lot of reasons, not nearly as mainstream or public of a MCU figure, either, uh, is a big part of that. But now that we have this news that he's been cast, uh, been cast as um, <laughs> Harrison Ford, of all people, he's obviously going to be expected to show up for the Thunderbolts movie, whether or not that's going to be as Red Hulk or as General Ross. Who's to say? Uh, but we have seen absolutely zero setup of Ross's involvement with the whole Thunderbolts thing that they've kind of started doing. Well, you know, with Yelena and with Valentina, uh, you know, Julie Louis-Dreyfus's character. Uh, we have we have seen zero setup of that. So of his involvement with them. So there's a little bit of catching up to do, possibly. Um, I don't think it would take too long to fill that in, but it would just take a bit of creative storytelling. Um, Currently, the Thunderbolts movie, or sorry, show? I think it's a show, is scheduled to be released July 26th, 2024, so we have plenty of time to fit Harrison Ford in here. Before then, I would assume, um, and we're also, yeah, okay, because before then, we're also getting uh, Captain America New World Order, which is May 3rd of 2024, and we're also getting reports that Ross, aka Harrison Ford, will be in that movie as Thunderbolt Ross. So that's potentially when we'll see him for the first time. Um, I mean, it's two and a half years. He's eighty-one. He's seventy-one years old. I certainly hope that works out. Um, he's much older. I believe he was much older than William Hurt was. Oh no, sorry. William Hurt was seventy-one. Sorry. Uh, this man is eighty. <laughs> so hopefully everything gets. You know, we have enough time get what I'm saying here. Okay, so the Thunderbolts lineup, as it is right now, consists of Yelena Belova, uh, who is kind of going to be, who knows, Black Widow, maybe? White Widow, I'm not sure what she's going to go by, but that is Florence Pugh, Bucky Barnes, as formerly the Winter Soldier, who is Sebastian Stan, Alexei Shoshkatov, who is a our Red Guardian, played by David Harbour, John Walker's U.S. agent, played by Wyatt Russell, Antonia Dreykov, a.k.a. Taskmaster, played by Olga Kurilenko, Ava Starr, a.k.a. Ghost, played by Hannah John-Kamen, and, as I mentioned before, Valentina Allegra de Fontaine, played by Julia Louise Dreyfus. There have been a lot of complaints that these characters seem to be almost the same uh, one to another. They seem to be pretty much the same character. Uh, I would argue that it's not really the same character. They all have the same kind of motives and they all feel like they are spurned, you know? Um, so (laughs) what I honestly think is going to happen in this Thunderbolts show is we're going to end up with only two or three of these characters sticking around and the rest are either going to get killed or, you know, yeeted off the planet or something. But I don't think this is going to be our, like, full-time, permanent Thunderbolts roster by any means. As for Thunderbolt Ross himself, he first transformed into the Red Hulk in 2008 in Jeff Loeb and Ed McGuinness's Red Hulk, or sorry, Hulk number 1. His Hulk would eventually lead into the 2012 incarnation of the Thunderbolts team, which is the first time we get that team in the comics. Sam Elliott, which I did not know this beforehand, Sam Elliott was Universal Pictures' uh, (laughs) Thunderbolt Ross in the 2003 Hulk, um, before Hurt came in for the 2008 Incredible Hulk, and the rest is more or less history. The other major Harrison Ford project that we've already known about for a while is, of course, Indiana Jones 5, uh, currently slated to be released on June 30th of next year. Now, as for my concerns about this, um, my, my obvious concern, I think, I hope, uh, with all that being said, is that we would be witnessing a, you know, Britney, Stan Lee type situation here where... The celebrity in question has no control over their life or career and is being used by a third party to get more influx of money to them. Uh, Ford, as I said, is, is 80 years old. He is quite a bit older than William Hurt was, which I think is a little bit beside the point, uh, but that is still pretty old to be working in any aspect, let alone largely green-screened and somewhat athletic acting roles. So hopefully my concerns there are pretty much... Not valid in the slightest. Um, And that's not what's happening. Uh, My husband's theory about what they might be doing here is that we're going to see Harrison Ford for all of one scene in a lab. And then the rest of it is just going to be William Hurt's voice over a 3d generated red hulk because they do have the rights to william hurt's voice which is kind of creepy if you think about it um but that's hopefully what's going to happen and it's not going to be harrison ford spending the next couple of years like basically killing himself in this role we don't need that to happen to this man he's already been in five indiana jones movies he's already said he's not hurting himself for us anymore for those Like, let's let's let the man take a break. So also, hopefully, this is something that he's very excited for and is not like, I guess I'll do it, because that that would suck, too. In indie news, we have already talked about the Barbarella Project. Coming from Sony, and as of yesterday, we had a Barbarella officially cast, and that is none other than Sydney Sweeney, who you may remember from the show on HBO Max, The White Lotus. Uh, and she has also been cast previously in the Madame Webb movie alongside Dakota Johnson. Uh, that all being said, this girl clearly has some acting talent if she's being picked up like this, uh, and I have no doubt that she would be able to follow through with Barbarella. The character of Barbarella has a pretty strong reputation for basically being a space slut, uh but it but it is a little bit more complicated than that. That's very basic. Uh starting off with the fact that the original comic, which was French, of course, and republished in English fairly recently, I want to say twenty fifteen, with a much better script that was modernized by none other than Kelly Sudakonic, the original comic was not actually the porno it has kind of been legendarily seen to be and written off as. There is really only mild top-level nudity with some kissing and cuddling. That's literally all there is in in the original Barbarella comics. That being said, she does sort of kind of use her beauty and sensuality to, like, solve wars and stuff. She is a force of empathy above all, and I think that's what makes her a timeless character regardless of the very specific sci-fi and fantasy era that she came from originally. So with you know with the fact in mind that Sony is Sony, um I'm still hoping that regardless of Sony, this will be a really fun movie and they're not just going to make it um I'm trying to think of some kind of bad reputation. Oh, what was that one with Scarlett Johansson inside of me or something like that, where she was like the alien and it was really just a movie because they wanted to see her naked, uh, on screen. And that was the only point of it. And it was really bad. (laughs) Let's hope it's not like that. There are two points of slowdowns happening, slowdowns and cancellations, I should say. Um, across the DCEU and NCU. Starting off with the cancellation of the week, because it seems to be coming like that, this week uh, lost us the live-action Zaytana movie. I believe it was a movie and not a TV show. It was never quite even clarified, but it was going to be coming from HBO Max, and those plans have officially been scrapped. Additionally, it's been reported that the film is being shopped around Hollywood to other streaming services, Um, but I would not get our hopes up about that because I feel like if this was something that has any likelihood to actually be picked up by somebody else, we would have heard statements of um, assurance from anybody involved, literally anybody involved, and that has not happened. So I don't think they're going to be trying very hard to get this picked up by somewhere else, um, or they just kind of know that no one else is going to pick it up, which does bring up a very interesting point in itself. Why? (sighs) I just find it so weird how similarly a little bit to Superman, Studios seem to have such a hard time with the character of Zaytana. Zaytana Zaytara, she should not be that hard. She is a crowd-favorite character that has been asked for on the live screen for literal decades. We had her briefly in Smallville, played by Serena Swan of the Future Human show, and she was half-decent. Serena Swan's a great actress, it was the rest of it that was mediocre. They just need to modernize that, basically. It was like early 2000s. Everything from then, if you're going to remake it, has to get <laughs> rewritten a little bit. It's all we need, though. Just modernize that. They they struggle with her, and I almost want to say, more than they do with Superman. The support is here. The fans are waiting for it. Just make the thing already. You know, as long as you're not making it some offendedly cheesy completely bad CGI, no scripts, no acting worth mentioning. Like, unless it's something like that, I mean, people are going to like it. Look at how many projects Satana has been in in the animated media and people have been all over it. I feel like every time a movie for the DC animated universe comes out, people just like fawn over how great Zaytana is because we are so thirsty to see her in her own movie in something live action. Uh, So just do it already. Why are you pussyfooting around like this? Again, it's like what they do with Superman, except we haven't even seen them put an attempt of Zaytana on the live screen for movies at all. At least with Superman, they've, they've made attempts. I would say Henry Cavill has absolutely there's nothing bad that he does with his Superman. He's a great Superman. The only bad things that have come from his Superman have been due to the like writing and directing and things like that. He is a great Superman. I feel like as long as you have the opposite of that, where you have the writing and the directing and everything spot down with Zatanna, you can you can get it done. I feel like you can get it done. Just do it. Just do it. So that was the cancellation. The slowdowns come from the MCU, and this comes from a Variety article where it was all kind of originally published as a whole. A number of Marvel movies have now been pushed back. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five Marvel movies have been pushed back now, including Blade, Deadpool 3, Fantastic Four, Avengers Secret Wars, and then two others, well, I should say, and one other, and then a sixth has been removed from the calendar entirely, which could mean that it's been canceled or it could mean that it's been pushed back so far it's not on the calendar anymore which is another possibility because that's kind of how these things sometimes work but as for blade we've gone from november 3rd 2023 to september 6th 2024 so almost a full year pushed back deadpool 3 has gone from september 6th 2024 to november 8th 2024 Uh, it's uh just This is a couple of months. Fantastic four, and that looks like that shift happened because of Blade. Uh, then Fantastic Four has shifted from November 8th, 2024, to February 14th, 2025, and that shift kind of happened Uh, because that was of Deadpool 3, and then due to that Fantastic Four shift, the movie that was being released out on February 14th, 2025, is now moved to November 7th, 2025, which is also a solid six-plus-months where these other ones were max three months difference, right? September to November, November to February, but then February to November is six months. Um, so that one's possible that they know they actually need that time, less of they, um, they're trying to put more time between things. And then finally, uh, Secret Wars has been delayed from November 2025 to another six months later, May 2026. And then that last May 2026 one has been removed from the calendar, which my theory is just that it's been pushed so far back, it's no longer in 2026, and so they don't have a 2027 calendar yet because it's 2022! And they aren't that far into pre-production of things. All all in all, I do think this is very good news, Um, particularly the fact that Blade has been shifted almost a full year. They were supposed to be starting... Um, I believe in November November or December of this year, they were supposed to be filming that movie. Obviously not going (laughs) to happen. Because they are not quite ready to confirm if they have new directors for it, and they have completely scrapped the script. Um, The only thing that they have right now, it seems, is Mahershala Ali and Kevin Feige desperately clinging to the strings of this project, which we will see to fruition. God, I hope so, because... It's been so long since they announced it and it was such a big deal and Mahershala Ali has done such great things with his career since then that he could just easily walk away from this and not sweat, not lose a drop of sweat. So I'm really hoping that he sticks it out uh, and has faith in the company and the creators and the comics and whoever else and the fans Uh, and we do get to see Mahershala Ali as Blade in 2024. And then the rest of these, uh, I think for the most part, were pushed back because of that. Which, again, I think is fine because it gives them more time on all of these projects. Um, It was becoming super clear that they were trying to do too much too fast. Really currently are trying to do too much too fast as well. Um, And some things were starting to suffer because of that. So it's nice to see that that has been acknowledged and they're taking steps to fix it, hopefully. The last bit of DCEU news, and I'm not really sure this even falls into DCEU these days. I don't know what that even stands for this time of year, this point in life, (laughs) whatever. Um, Matt Reeves has been giving some information about his future plans for the Batman Obviously, we know that he is getting that sequel and that he is getting the, I believe, the uh, the Penguin show still. So I'm not sure if the GCPD one is ever getting off the ground, but we know about the Penguin one. Uh, other characters who he is going to develop films and projects for in the future, specifically villains he has in mind, include Clayface, Professor Pig, and the Scarecrow among the Penguin lists. Um, this really makes a lot of sense to me. I know people on Twitter were arguing about how grounded or realistic the Batman is. It's not realistic at all, it's just that it's more grounded than the general superhero media. Not that it is entirely grounded, it's just more grounded. So let's just go with the term grounded to describe how this kind of style of movie Reeves is making for these Batman characters, and just go with that. So Clayface, um... You could easily ground him in just being a horribly deformed person. We already know how he's doing the penguin. Um, Professor Pig, you know, he could be a serial killer who wears a decapitated pig's head over his own when he commits crimes in a meat house. Scarecrow is the easiest, I think, being not necessarily super powered in the comics himself. He could just be some medical person who is testing things on patients, and maybe that's how we get a poison ivy. you know uh, i I feel like it's very easy to twist comic characters and villains to be a bit more grounded than their generally fantastical origins had originally made them. So while I'm not very excited for the Penguin show because I do not give a, give give anything about that character, to be honest, um, I think that's very interesting that these are his choices, or at least parts of his choices for what his plans for the next Batman films, uh, and whatnot are going to be. But like always, man, I just I'd love to see more female characters in here. Uh, where where are the female characters? You you can do it. Like you can. But no, just no, there's not. As of Monday morning, the 24th, we had an official Quantumania trailer, as opposed to the blitz and blurbs we'd seen before that were, um, people smuggled their phones into conventions and stuff and got little tiny pieces that you couldn't actually see. Now we have a full trailer, so good. Um... There's not a whole lot to be like severely broken down in this trailer. Um, I would say the, the biggest question is, oh, was that the micronauts? You know. Who is she referencing? Obviously, the only group of people who showed up in in the trailer. <laughs> they pop up out of the, the microverse or whatever. Who knows? That's I feel like they're probably gonna be the micronauts. Uh the movie itself does open February 17th, 2023, and this trailer uh, took place with the best remix of Yellow Brick Road by Elton John that I have ever heard. I really, really enjoyed it. They upped the bass, they upped the theatrics. I like that a lot. We obviously also get to see our first actual looks as Cassie of, of Cassie Lang as Stature, which is pretty exciting. It's a purple look that is a very much a combination of her dad and Hope's uh, ant-man and wasp suits obviously we're gonna see kang we see him a number of times in the trailer in his full purple and green with that blue mask glory uh really curious how they're gonna make the mask work my thought is that it's gonna be some kind of actual tech thing that he puts on um that that appears like as a as a thing so he can go out into space and stuff and still breathe and all that it'll just be like Suctioned over him because that's just how it works. That's kind of what my thought is it's going to be in the MCU. But I'm really quite surprised that they gave him that purple look and went. It doesn't look like they made too many changes. Honestly, it looks like they pretty much did a direct translation into just being an MCU outfit. They didn't make, they didn't alter it too much, which again, absolutely amazed that it works. <laughs> Other things that we know are going to be in this movie. Um, obviously, Bill Murray should have been cut entirely uh, after everything that's kind of come out from him. We've we've always known he's kind of a sketchy dude, but after everything that's come out more recently, um, <laughs> just seeing him in that trailer made a real bad taste in my mouth, and so I am not going to be enjoying him in the movie at all. Uh, but on the good side of things, we are also going to be getting Jimmy Woo back, so that's very exciting, and we are getting Yellow Jacket, who will be turning into... M.O.D.O.K., which um, we saw kind of a concept art of that a few months ago, and I talked about that in the podcast when that came out. I'm really excited to see how messed up he gets to become M.O.D.O.K., the the bulbous head, like, the oh man, he's going to remove the mask and it's going to be just this horrifying, oh my gosh, I'm so excited for how messed up that's going to be. And of course, Kang, um, aside from his costume, Kang is going to be the next big bad, so they're calling it in the MCU, with Avengers Kang Dynasty coming several years down the road. Uh, Kang has lots of... um, He has lots of... They're calling them variants now, Um, so we'll go with that uh, variants. We know about Rama-Tut, That there's Iron Lad, a couple others, obviously Immortus, Victor Timely, Scarlet Centurion, and then another one is Mr. Griffin. There's actually many more than that, um, but something about Kang that I think is a little bit relevant that people have kind of overlooked a little bit um, is that Kang is a descendant of Reed Richards. His name is Nathaniel Richards, he is a descendant of Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic, by way of his daughter Valeria, which I feel is worth mentioning because go Valeria, you have excellent progeny. <laughs> um, so, I'm just saying, the Fantastic Four, well, let me scroll back up, we have that Fantastic Four movie date, right? Um, yeah, it is February 14th, 2025, and then this Kang stuff is going to be happening like a little before that, Right. How, what if that's the way that we get the Fantastic Four is through Kang? Because honestly, I mean, he's involved quite a lot. He is a descendant of the Richards family. Like it's, kind of, it's, it's I feel like people are kind of washing over that when they talk about uh future stuff for Kang in the MCU. But we'll see. We'll see. Um, I did want to say one other thing. Um, there's a lot of this stuff that's been coming out with... Good stuff, good stuff, nothing bad. Good stuff that Kendrick Lamar has been putting out recently and with the um the trailer for Creed 3. <laughs> oh. Uh been thinking a lot about Jonathan Majors, not in a creepy way, his acting career is what I'm going for, uh as well. I just wanted to like make a little say 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 a little something about the two of them because they are all kind of wrapped up in the MCU a little bit in unique ways. And that is that, that I I pretty much, I I would say, I think of Jonathan Majors in a very similar way as I do Kendrick Lamar. Uh, they are both black performance artists who have really been slept on in public opinion and knowledge as they were already doing fantastic things with their careers. Jonathan Majors in Lovecraft Country unbelievably good. The Five Bloods, The Harder They Fall, he cannot put on a less-than-stellar performance. And then for Kendrick Lamar, there's his 2017 Pulitzer for Damn, his Disney-funded Black Panther album. You know, it could go on for a minute there. Now, these days, I feel like it's paying off for them professionally in a serious way, and people are finally starting to catch on to these two. Nowadays, we have Jonathan Majors, who has already been introduced publicly as the next big villain in the MCU, as well as being the most-looked-forward-to factor of Creed 3. And Kendrick is doing major deals left and right, including a Netflix movie album and an Amazon-funded, produced, filmed, and live-streamed concert performance in Paris, as well as London. These are big moves Major deals. These guys are on the top of their game and are some of the absolute top tier creators in their respective industries. I just had to get all of that out because I am genuinely looking forward to what they make and are a part of in the future. And being a massive nerd... I will most likely be keeping up with them um, if they have anything at all nerdish related like Kendrick Lamar had that animated thing for his album on Netflix, that was super cool! Um, so anything that these guys do, I you, I will be appreciating, if not talking explicitly about, you can bet that I will be keeping up with it. The Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special was given a teaser trailer this morning. Um, Not a whole lot to say about it, because it's the the same thing we've had for a while now. The Guardians, Mantis, and Kraglin, and Drax seem to be kind of the focus of this one, but it's also going to have everybody else who is part of the Guardians team. I don't think we'll be seeing Gamora, um, just because that seems to be part of the plot, is the fact that she's not there, and that makes sense based on everything we've seen up until this point. And how all of that kind of ended last time we saw her. Um, but the funny thing about this. You remember the whole Kevin Bacon joke? How he like idolizes Kevin Bacon. Star-Lord I mean. That's, that's Kraglin and Gamor, Not Gamor. Kraglin and Drax and Mantis. I, I think Kraglin too. I hope so because he's funny. He's my favorite guardian I'm being honest. Um, I, I actually met Sean Gunn who plays Kraglin uh, at a convention once. And shook his hand. Uh, and that was fun. But yeah. Uh, they end up going and trying to kidnap Kevin Bacon to bring him to Quill and make him happy, <laughs> and that is streaming on Disney Plus November fifteenth. I honestly forgot that it was even happening, so I'm glad they put out a teaser for it. Uh, I thought it was next year actually, um, but I guess not. And so that'll be fun. Um, my only thing with that is I hope there's not a whole lot of uh, you know bodily function jokes like poop and fart jokes and stuff. That That's really one of James Gunn's favorite types of humor, and it's my least favorite type of humor, so hoping we don't get too much of that childish crap in it. Because yes, these things are technically made for kids. We don't actually, we don't have to lower ourselves to kids. We don't have to lower ourselves to that brain value. <laughs> anyway. The spotlight manga for the week is Miss Kobayashi's Dragon Maid. Yes, it is. (laughs) I'm so excited. So yes, um, want to do these spotlight mangas there will be some things that are mildly problematic tropes that we come across um sometimes it's it's put in there by the author the creator sometimes it is kind of put on it by the fans. that latter one put on it by the fans uh, is kind of what we get into this one so we'll talk about that in just a second uh, when we get to where those problems lie but the project itself um, the, the manga itself, and I guess um, extension of the anime, is awesome. Uh, 10 out of 10 Yuri manga Yuri being um, girl love, you know, this boy love mangas, which is like massively popular, especially like even over here in the States and pretty much everywhere that people read manga. Uh, Yuri being the opposite for girl love. So major, major lesbian vibes. It is a fantasy comedy slice of life is the official term- terms used to categorize this one and what it kind of what the plot is is you have a mildly otaku office worker who is is she's a woman uh who drinks like a man and lives alone and has a very simple life um and she t- runs into a dragon one night and rescues it and uh it falls in love with her and the next day shows up to her house as a maid, transforms into a human-ish maid, uh, and decides that she is going to work for Miss Kobayashi for having saved her life because now she loves her and wants to be with her forever. Um it's super cute. Uh the characters you get obviously Miss Kobayashi is the main character, uh the I guess The protagonists Um, I don't really know if you would say that Or Toru, who is the dragon maid Who we initially meet I guess together they're kind of combined protagonists Uh, But along the line We meet other dragons from Toru's world Because it's in like another dimension And those are Kana, Luwoka, Elmo, Iluli And Fafnir is the male dragon Who we meet As well as Toru's father Who is like the demon lord Or something like that Um, There is also mild problematicness when it comes to Kana. Kana's character, well, and also Luoka. Uh, Kana's character, possibly it's elderly. No, it's Luoka. So Kana's character is a very young, I mean, Dragon Age is different in their world, but she's very young. She is a little girl in our world. Um, she goes to school and she meets this other little girl who is kind of like a rival, and then she kind of falls in love with her and becomes obsessed with her. Um, and that little girl is horny for the other little girl. That's not particularly problematic. Um, What's problematic about it is that people take this Kana character and sexualize her for their own fetishes. That is not something that happens in any way, shape, or form in the manga or the anime itself. Uh, That is entirely creepy fans being creeps. Um, So if you ever look into it, be aware that you may come into that. Also, um, Luoka is an idiot uh she uh, the, the, this is this is a girl love thing so you have to understand girls love titties so this lesbian writer writes characters who have enormous g- knockers just absolutely ginormous you can think that's problematic if you want but it's really not um so Luoka, obviously Kana's a little girl, and none of that is relevant. Luoka, when she shows up, she gets a job as a maid for one of Kana's classmates, this little boy. You can kind of see where we're going here. It's not particularly sexual in the com in the manga. It's I mean, it's not at all sexual. The thing that gets sexualized is the fact that you have this little boy who is completely flustered by this heavy-chested, extremely heavy-chested maid, um, and he he decides that she's a succubus who is trying to uh, steal his soul or something, because she, uh, she's so attractive, and she's, why, he's no way, you're real, you know, all that kind of thing. And people do take it way too far with the fan art of them, obviously, and that is creepy, Probably just as it's just, it's just everybody's creepy, okay? Um, and the, the 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 manga itself is not creepy. <laughs> I'm just trying to get that across. It's really, really good. Um, as a bisexual woman myself, I am a huge, huge Yuri manga fan. And it's really hard to come across quality ones, in my opinion. I guess I'm a little bit picky. Um, but it's really nice when you see people like um the author here who make these mangas that are specifically most definitely made for other women to enjoy. The author here is someone whose name I will most definitely brutalize. Um, This is probably a pen name anyway. Kulkusinesia. Kulkusinesia. But the two other mangas that she has written, I think both of which have actually been made into animes, was first was, I can't understand what my husband is saying, it's a woman who is married to an otaku man, and Komori-san can't decide. Or, sorry, Can't Decline, I can read. Um, And that is basically like Emma Enchanted, or Ella Enchanted. Oh my god, Emma. Ella Enchanted, where she can't say no to anything. I have not read either of those or watched them for what it's worth, um, but I can 100,000% recommend Miss Kobayashi's Dragon Maid. Now, if you're going to watch the anime, I have to admit that it did take me two or three tries of watching the first few episodes to get into it. Usually, if it takes that much for me to get into something, it's never going to catch on for me. Uh, But this did, and I'm really, really glad that I went back and tried it that many times, because I have now watched both seasons twice, I am absolutely in love with the characters, I'm reading the mangas as quickly as I can. I believe there are 12 or 13 volumes of the mangas, and they are a little bit smaller than your traditional manga size. Um not necessarily less pages, but they smaller kind of pages. Uh, really 100% recommend Ms. Kobayashi's Dragon Maid. I would say this is probably a fairly easy one for people who have never read manga before to get into. There isn't too much of a cultural divide between uh, what the reader, an American reader, might have experienced in their own life versus what they're seeing on the page here. It's a a dorky office worker who uh works basically her whole life and then drinks the rest of it. It's not too far off from what uh westerners can relate to. So, I definitely think it's something that newbies in manga would love to read, especially if you love girls having crushes on each other. The handful of comic book picks that I have this week are from the weeks of October 5th, 12th, and 19th. I am slowly but surely catching up on things, hopefully by this next week. I got a couple of days off this weekend. Hopefully by this next week's episode 83, I will have a lot more in comics to chat about. But right now, it's going to be Captain Marvel, Poison Ivy, Immortal X-Men, and Deceased. So the most recent Captain Marvel was the Judgment Day tie-in for the series, (laughs) you <laughs> With Carol, L'Oreal, and Chewy all getting their judgment on this single issue. And, of course, all of them pass. Carol because, let's face it, she's Carol. L'Oreal because she is the daughter of Carol's mother and has that same spirit. And Chewy because they are fucking awesome. Sorry, not sorry. Poison Ivy was really good, but I am super duper duper not a fan of the... Let's be honest, very new edition of Ivy or Pam, I guess, being a sexual assault victim. I think that side of the backstory being added is wild, unnecessary. Uh you don't have to be uh molested and chained down by your professor to have trauma. <laughs> Just saying. Um, Brutal X-Men was, I think it was number seven. This was from Kurt's point of view. Kurt being Nightcrawler. I guess he had a really good week in comics because he also had a Legion of X issue. I don't read that, so I don't know what's happened in it. But apparently people liked him in that one as well. This issue goes over the spoiler alert resurrection of Captain America that we saw in the last... Judgment Day issue um, and kind of fills in a little bit of the how and why and what next about that whole scenario. Finally, Deceased War of the what is it War of the Undead Gods. Well, it's the final arc of Deceased, number three of eight. We had Adam Strange entering the program right when a Zeta Beam takes him back to Earth and then returns him to Ran, a zombie good stuff. Lobo enters the scene next. Zombie Thanagarians attack him, and he can't be turned, so he decides he's going to go save the universe, but for a price. Meanwhile, on Themyscira, Ares interrupts Diana's funeral. He says war is coming, because what they just went through was not actually war, it was simple defeat. The war is nigh. He says the war will end all, and has happened before. They did not win last time, and they will not win again now. In the end of the issue. Erebos arrives. I have not figured out if that's an original character via Tom Taylor, uh, but apparently he is the end all be all of everything. We're going to run through this week's comic book picks pretty quickly. These are all coming out the week of the 26th of October. There are an incredible, really truly incredible amount of indie comics coming out this week, and most of them are number ones. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight nine, ten. There are ten, eleven indie number ones that I have here to go through. I'm not going to be doing all of the authors and variant covers and everything the way that I have been lately. I'm kind of going to just swoop over them all in a big cluster. So from Silver Sprocket, they're doing Al Dente number one. Silver Sprocket publishes a lot of really cool zines, or I guess zines is what they are, um, and queer and people of color friendly materials um and they have most um, pretty much entirely adult comics so keep that in mind from sourcepoint press they have a guardian number no. 1 which is kind of a mid-level fantasy story and the argus number no. 1 which will involve time travel dark horse comics has dead mall number no. 1 where a group of four teenagers, a night of exploration, in an abandoned mall is going to become a shopping spree from hell. At Opus Comics is Eternal Descent, number one, with a cover by Megan Hetrick and a cover by Rian Gonzalez. I'm a huge fan of both of those. In this one, a doctorate student falls into an occult and music crossover world. Scout Comics is putting out Mistaista number one where a galactic adventures of the third best assassin in the universe will be seen Archie Comics returns with the return of Chilling Adventures in Sorcery, number one. This is Madame Satan escape and continue of her own adventures. At Sumerian Comics, Sarah Lone, number one. A young woman with a rough past finds herself caught in a destructive spiral after the brutal murder of her father. At IDW, we get a new Star Trek series kicking off Star Trek, number one. Boom Comics has damn them all number one. A woman who is charged with the mission to hunt down seventy-two escaped devils and turn them all back to hell. Vault Comics has barbaric axe grind number three of three. I'm still tracking down number two, but it is a wonderful series, and I definitely encourage people who like violent video games to check it out. At Image Comics, they give us a lovesick number one. It says the lovesick club is an exclusive site specializing in erotic, violent entertainment on the dark web. But there are those who believe the lead dominatrix is a mother, demon, and aim to punish her. There's a lot of creators who are in on that one as well. Flawed number two, A Therapist Goes Vigilante on the Worst of the Worst. And Sins of a Black Flamingo number five, the final issue of The arc. Or the story, I should say, is the whole the final issue of the whole thing. At DC Comics, they're giving us Gotham Knights Gilded City number one, which is a prequel to the Gotham Knights game. Catwoman Lonely City number four, which is by Cliff Chang, and it is the final issue of his uh, black label magazine size series. Harley Quinn number 23 is Who Killed Harley, chapter 2, with covers by Lee Riley, Rochda Lynn, Megan Hutchinson, Will Jack, and Nathan Serdzi. Riddler Year One is The Origin of the Riddler, written by Paul Dano, the actor who plays the Riddler. And Punchline, The Gotham Game, number one, is from Leia Williams, I believe. Uh, and Punchline is going to get her Royal Flesh Gang. We have covers by Rose Besch, Derek Chu, Guillaume March, Raphael Albuquerque, Ivan Tao, and Matthias Manhanini. And finally, at Marvel, Judgment Day, number six, brings us covers by Mark Brooks, Addy Granov, Art Germ, David Nakayama, Valerio Gian... Gian Giordano, Gian Giordano, and Peach Mamoko. New Mutants number 21 has a guest writer of Charlie Jane Anders. The Variants number 4 of 5 is coming out by Gail Simone and Phil Noto. Strange number seven has a really cute Luciano Vecchio variant, but I have low hopes for it. Strange Academy finals number one has a Peach Rimoco and Rico variants, both of which are really fun. It's also the second Strange Academy series, and the first one was pretty stellar, so I definitely recommend if for no other reason than an investment, you pick up at least the first issue. The She Hulk finale happened last. Uh, thir- no, two Thursdays ago. It happened a while ago. The finale episode was titled, Whose Show Is This? Without a question mark, so I'm not sure how you're supposed to read that. Um, there was a lot of things that you can kind of go over in the show. I'm not going to go too detailed into it because I still have a lot of problems with the whole show itself. Uh, but not at all what you know the general public would expect my problems to be with it. Um, so basically it starts with Jen waking up in jail after having rampaged through the, the, whatever it was, celebration she was at, the award ceremony. Uh, she's woken up to new rules, no job, and no home (laughs) she gets kicked out of her apartment loses her job moves back in with her parents uh they keep asking her to help move big things and she can't because she's now restricted to never being she-hulk again via an ankle monitor uh it's just all very very complicated for her all of a sudden but at the same time not really um so i guess she guns she decides to go to um Abomas Day to go talk to Abomination about her problems. Um, and when she gets there, it turns out that that is where the celebratory party for the um, the Hulk King and their anti-She-Hulk crusade have all kind of ended up. And my first major, major disappointment of the episode uh, was the fact that it was not... Leader involved in this in the slightest. It was just that Josh character, or whoever he was, um, just didn't like, was just mad that she wouldn't date him. So he sent this attractive guy to go sleep with her and get her blood. Like, it was. I'm, I'm sorry, that's. <laughs> I get what's happening there, but. Wait, that's all you could come up with? Some dude who calls himself Hulk King and then becomes Hulk for all of five minutes? That that's it. It was very disappointing. Um and then of course there's the whole thing about how you know uh Hulk sh- Bruce shows up and Titania shows up and all of this stuff happens and then she goes, "Wait, wait, 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 wait. This is my show." And like busts out of it and goes does the uh, blazing saddles thing of goes through Hollywood to find the wherever the executives are and she goes into the writers' room and is like, "What are you guys doing?" And it's this whole third wall thing and you know, like, it's that's all good and fun, and it was fine, but, like... And then she goes to the Kevin, and the Kevin is like, oh, it's gonna be Kevin Feige, and then it's like, oh, it's not Kevin Feige, it's a computer, basically. It's an AI. <laughs> and so she sits down and talks to the AI about all of this stuff that she, like, why did you have to put Bruce in my finale, and oh, Hulk King, that's so stupid, like, oh, yeah, and she makes comments about the X-Men and, you know, whatever other characters it was that she was teasing, Um, and then I guess they, like, make their decision about what's going to happen, and she goes back, and it, like, replays, and, oh, what she wanted was, oh, abomination to take uh, responsibility, and so he kind of does, but not really. What it really sounds like, honestly, I know we've talked about Grounding in superheroes already on this, show, on this episode, but it sounds like they were trying to make the ending grounded and it just made it boring. <laughs> because then, you know, all that stuff happens, and oh, okay, now we're, we're living with your family and you're having dinner on the back porch with your family, and Matt Murdock is there because he's visiting from California and everybody's making jokes about how you guys are going to get married. I don't think that's going to go really any further than this, but I kind of kind of hope not now. Um, but then, then, then Bruce does show up in his Smart Hulk form um, and introduces Scar, his son, who is full grown and has very strange appearance. But that's a conversation for another day, I guess. Um, and everybody is like, "Oh, hey, nice to meet you," and moves on. I'm sorry. What? This man is going to walk up to you and say, hey, by the way, this is my fully grown-ass son, and you're not going to say anything about, A, when did this happen? B, who is his mother? C, how is he full-grown if he was clearly born on Sakar, which only happened a few years ago? Like, D, what? Like, how is nobody having any follow-up questions? That's just not grounded. You guys want to go for more grounded? Like, oh, it's just She-Hulk and her lawyer show. Like, no, <laughs> that was not... Ground, that was absolutely insane. The most insane part of the episode was the fact that when people are introduced to Hulk's son, they have zero follow-up questions. Like, that's just insane. <laughs> and again, goes back on the whole thing of, um oh yeah, this is a gen show, we're not going to have all these cameos for the Hulk stuff, and we're not going to do the, the whole preview to World War Hulk or whatever Planet Hulk it's going to be, I don't know what it's going to be. But whatever it is that they're doing, like we're not gonna, t- we're not gonna bring that in. He can wait for his own movie, and then they do it anyway. And the whole thing of her saying, "Oh, I, I just want to be Jen. I don't want to be," and then she's constantly She-Hulk, and then she gets She-Hulk taken away, so to say, and she's very upset. Like, it's so wishy-washy. This whole thing was so wishy-washy. Um. And I'm not not saying it was a bad show. It was a good show if you, for the most part, if you don't give a shit about her character and the history that her character has ever had. Because at the end of it, I still wind up with these questions of why did you bother to make all of these changes from her comic story? You made up her a whole new origin story, history, and background. Because what? You're too lazy to go with the original and find the good in it to make it good? Like what what is that like why did you make all these changes? None of them meant anything. You just ended up with a whinier jen. Who didn't have to prove herself so much. Because she has this nice cushy landing pad. Of her whole ass family. Whereas in the comics. She had a father who was at arms with her constantly. Was a sheriff who wanted to kill. She-Hulk. She is at arms with herself. Because her transformations are. Wildly painful. And uncontrollable. You know it's like. there—that That is character growth. And development that happened here. Here in this show. That was not any of that so you take away the hardship that she has and you replaced it with nothing with fluff it what like didn't do anything for the show why did you bother making all of those changes? Just you didn't you just didn't bother to check and see what was in the comics you just decided to make it up from was there Scratch? What? What was it? That's what's always going to bother me about this show, and that's why I'm kind of hoping it doesn't get a second season unless we get new showrunners. That's it. I don't want the showrunners back if they're going to do a second season, because clearly they did not give a shit about the comics. Which is what this show is about. It's about comics. Why was there nothing from the comics? On a real happy note, the one that I'm way more excited for is was Rings of Power, the finale, episode 8. Alloyed, which is like a pun I feel like, because Allied and then no, it was that I, I feel like it's a pun. Uh, basically, spoilers for all of this, because if I don't know why you'd be listening to this if you haven't seen it yet. Um, that was awesome. <laughs> There's a few minor critiques, but we can kind of work our way through that. Um, so obviously the major thing, the two major things, right, is uh, the Stranger and and Halbrand, right? Because we get both of those two things completely answered. So starting off with... Let's start with the Stranger. um, And the Harfoots, right? Because in the last episode, they had their stuff burned down by the evil witches. Uh, And so this episode, the evil witches uh, have now caught up with the Stranger as he tries to draw them away from the Harfoots. Basically, is what's happening. And they tell him, Hey, buddy, so... uh, the reason you don't have your memories is because you're Sauron and because they all had to get wiped from your mind. We saw you crash into earth the other nine. We we're like, that's our guy. And so now we're here to give you your memories back and like, uh, uh, become your evil villainesses again or whatever. Um, and they have this whole fight with him. Um, the, the Harfits show up and they try to rescue him and it's a trap and it's actually the creepy white haired one. And, Uh, in in disguise. Really crazy magic stuff that they do. Honestly, these bitches were cool as fuck. Um, (laughs) getting really excited. Uh, the third one, also, we had, like, there was, like, the warrior and the acolyte or something, and the third one, I don't think they had a name. But in any case, uh, whatever it is that happens to them, they run off or get killed or whatever. I honestly don't remember right in the second. I didn't didn't do too much prep for this. We're flyballing. Freeballing. I know words. Um, And so he's like, no, I am good, and he's, you know, rejects the claim that he is Sauron, basically. Um, And at that point in the Revelations, you know, we could still definitely be like, okay, so he's still Sauron, he's just refusing to acknowledge it. But that's not what happens here, because the Harfits do overcome their evil witch ladies, um, and he's like, oh, he's going to, the stranger's going to go off and, you know, continue his journey. The Harfit leader dies and it is like, rips your dang heart out oh my gosh and then the scene the next morning um where she like goes over all the lists and stuff that he had had that he would made for years and leading the harfoots and everything and she's like pit- taking up where he left off and they were always at each other's throats because they're always like oh no i'm right no i'm right you know do it my way do it my way and now she's doing it his way because that's oh my gosh it was so good <sighs> obviously one of them had to die. I'm just really happy it wasn't Poppy, because Poppy has clearly lost more than enough. Um, You know, her family was left behind or fell behind, I guess. Um, That was something that we kind of figured out in an earlier episode. And now she's being left by her friend, because um, she has to basically admit that she belongs, Nori belongs uh with wherever the stranger is going that uh he needs her and she needs adventure so off she goes and the thing that cements the fact that he is motherfucking gandalf is um i was losing my mind <laughs> because he looks and he's like and she's like where do we go and she he sniffs the air and he goes this way it smells sweet there it smells sweeter this way and i was like oh my god he's going to say follow your nose and he goes When in doubt, always follow your nose. Oh my god, oh, I lost my shit, because that's what he says in The Fellowship. (sighs) That was done so well. And that's why I think people haven't been complaining about the fact that they changed the timeline a little bit to make that work. Um... Also, could I add in here that, I guess, okay, I was going to say, we don't actually know that the timeline is the same in that part of the story, but yes, I guess we did see the destruction that Doom Mountain Doom caused, the eruption, so scratch that. We do have to acknowledge that it's the same timeline. But anyway, that change, I don't think people care about too much because they just handled that so well. That was such a satisfying conclusion for that arc of this part of the season to, to go to. Loved it. The other side of massive reveals for this obviously being Halbrand is fucking Sauron, uh, called that one, super stoked about that that happening. Uh basically Galadriel like figures out that the line he claims to be a part of died off. Like super long ago. So clearly he's not that. And he looks at her and goes, Well, I did tell you I took this off a dead man. And he goes through every point in their story together where he was basically given an opportunity or given a chance to continue being the Hallbrand everybody knows and loves. Like, Oh, she convinced he's, she's, he's, uh, Galadriel said, But at Numenor, you stayed to help us. And he says, No, you convinced them to to let to not kill me or whatever to not send me off and she realizes that every step of the way that he has gotten a step up that sauron has gotten a step closer to her and to middle earth and all of that is because of her own help it's nuts like he told he straight up told her i got this emblem off a dead man and she just assumed that he was making it up that he was trying to hide the fact that he was the true king. true king line died off a long time ago and he was not lying that he took it off a dead body. It's just insane how he just let people assume he was good and <laughs> got everything that he wanted when he wasn't actually proving himself in any way at any point in time. Uh, the best that he did was like show them where the Southlands were being attacked and even then, they probably could have worked it out without him. And he does a, he does a really great job uh, of going into Galadriel's mind and showing her the sequence of them on the boat and going through all of that again, or the raft, going through all of that again. And I think when a lot of people um, are kind of mistaking what he's saying to her, um, the fact he's hes kind of doing the same sort of thing where he's saying one thing, but he kind of means another. Um when he's saying that she could be his queen and they could rule together, he doesn't mean that. This does not mean that he is simping for Galadriel. This does not mean that Sauron was ever like going to take her on as a equal in ruling. That is not what is happening. Because, granted, he shows her that vision in the water of him and his basically witch gear and her and her armor and that was a cool, like a really cool thing to see. Loved it. Power couple, awesome. That's not what would happen. It would be, he is telling her all of these things to get her to submit to him. Her being his queen is her submitting to his rule. All of that is still leaving him in the position of power over her, and that's why having them allied, so to say, in that way of, you know, Emperor and Empress, as it, you know, might be, then that isn't actually giving her a step up. It would just be a way for him to control her. Keep your friends closer, your enemies closer, a little bit like that. And no doubt Galadriel would end up withering away or something. Um, I don't know, but that's that's kind of what he was trying to do there, and she obviously shuts it down, um, and then Elrond shows up and helps her kind of come back to reality, which is really, really what she needed at that point, after all those really bad visions of Sauron. And then everybody figures out, oh, uh, you know, he was Sauron, they all get on the same page, and the three elves in the room, which is, of course, Celebor, or Celebrimbon, um, Gladriel, and Elrond they basically figure out that everything that he was doing to create a powerful ring here was for him to get that power. So they have to alter what they're creating with the Mithril that they had were that that was the Mithril that Halbron was like, Oh, what if we do this and we create alloys that it goes with? And yeah, people are saying Celebrimbor should have known that, but I, I've, I think all of us have been in a place where we're too close to a problem to see a solution. And then somebody who is from the outside walks in and points it out in a second. That I think this happened to all of us at some point. So it's not too far off to be believable. The thing that people do kind of have an issue with it, I can understand to an extent, um, the melting down of Galadriel's knife from her brother. That's not the issue. The issue was they put it in a thing. It's three different kinds of metal. Uh, Or two different kinds of metal or whatever it was, and they put it in a thing to melt it all down, and then it came out as multiple different types of metal. I'm not a metalsmith. I don't know really how these things work, but in my mind, they would have melted into one These guys are elves. They're special metals that are super pure. It's possible they just all melted and it was like water and oil, you know, and that was, they, they didn't come together at all. So that's what I'm going with for that. Now, my question for anybody listening, if you have the answer to this, because I have not found it online, is why we know what Galadriel's ring looks like when we see it in the Fellowship. Kate Blanchett wears it. Why does it not look like that now? The three rings that they made are entirely different in appearance than the three rings as they are in the original trilogy. Why is that? I'm I thought that was Elrond's ring, Uh, Galadriel's ring, and then the one Celebrimbor has is going to become Gandalf's ring, right? I I I thought that's what this was. Is that not the case? <laughs> I'm genuinely asking. And of course, this was not the full seduction of Celebrimbor. We are going to have Sauron come back as Anatar, uh, and he is going to then convince Celebrimbor to make all the rest of the rings, uh, so that he may have dominion over the dwarves, the king, the the men, and whoever else it was that he made the rings for. Um, I thought it was the history, though, was reversed. I thought he made all those rings for Anatar before the three Elvish rings were made, because I thought the three Elvish rings were made in response to finding out that those rings were for the dominion of their species. But I guess they now, this time, they've made the three rings to prevent Sauron's dominion before he has even made the other rings to take over the other places, I guess? I don't know. I'm a little bit confused about that part, but I have no doubt it'll be explained in the subsequent seasons because we are getting five of these seasons. Don't forget that. And we also have so much more that we didn't even touch on in the finale that they have to cover in more seasons. So I am very excited. Um, A lot of people are saying that um, it's possible Galadriel has already had Her daughter, who was going to go marry Elrond, that's very possible. Uh, I don't think I had mentioned that before, but that's kind of what I'm banking on now. Um, And then her husband will just show back up at some point in later history. Or maybe he'll show back up and he'll have her daughter then. But then Elrond will be, like, raising her? I don't know. That's just elf stuff, I guess. Weird elf time age differences. Gets weird if you think about it too much. (laughs) But that wraps up, uh, this week's episode of Sensational She Geek live from Yancey Street. Thank you for listening to whatever portion of the episode that you were able to. I will be back with episode eighty three next Monday, uh, September fifth. Oh no, it'll be Halloween, so it'll be either Halloween or the thir- or the first of of um, what is it, November. I'm also going to be getting the Saitana special out At the end of the month for the Halloween Special, I know I didn't get the Jessica Cruz one out yet, I'm saving that now for the End of the year because I have a couple that I need to make up For the end of the year Um, And so keep an eye out For all of that, I am going to be Posting the January 2023 Big two solicits on my site As well, Um, so there's plenty To look at if you want to go there to Check out what all my updates are going to be this week It is officially fall. The weather is chilly, and I love it. Still, hydrate hippies. The cold does not mean you need less water. Have a great week.